Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Bill. Father, we are grateful that you have given us your word. And we do ask that you would let your word bear fruit in our lives. And Lord, we can sometimes tend to close our ears when we come to passages that we've, we've heard many, many times before. But I would ask you to please give us open ears and humble hearts and expectant minds that we would want you to speak to us again from a passage that to many of us is very, very familiar and I pray that you would grant hope where there needs to be hope in the hearts of those who are listening and grant encouragement where there needs to be encouragement. Grant faith where there needs to be faith. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, let these words come alive to us because your word is living and active and you, you intend for good to come to your people through your word. So please help me to let these truths that we find in this scripture this morning be good for us. Let us sit in this goodness for a few minutes and let us carry the goodness with us throughout this week. And I pray this according to your name, Jesus, knowing that you can make all these things come to pass. Amen. So when you hear this passage read this morning, you thought, is it Christmas? It's the only time we ever pay attention to these words. And yet, as we're moving through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we want to pay attention to all of them and ask, the, what is it that the Lord would have us know and take with us as we consider moving through this particular portion of Scripture? And I, I wonder uh, how many of you see any connection here of, do you wonder about Mary and Joseph and what is happening in their lives? Because we all, I'm sure, no matter how old you are, you have this expectation of what you think married life is going to be like. You have hopes, you have dreams, 
You have expectations and all of these sort of things come together. If you are married, you, you had them, I'm quite sure, uh, whether you were aware of them or not. If you're not married, I'm sure that you're thinking one day in the future, somewhere out there, I will be married. And so those are some things that uh, are on our minds. And yet, one of the things we discover after you've been married for about at least 15 minutes is things don't always work out the way you think. And Mary and Joseph experienced that. Here, I, I think we will see uh, things quite didn't turn out as they might have expected, probably because they never dreamed things would unfold as they did. But we want to pick up this week where we left off uh, last week. And so verse 18 is where Bill began reading. And we see that the primary purpose of Matthew is to zero in on Jesus. And so it's the very first phrase, the first sentence. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ uh, took place in this way. So he's, he's continuing this story that he has started. And he's, he's telling us about, the, the, we, we see this word, the birth of Jesus. That's actually the same word that we saw last week. It's the genesis of Jesus, is the Greek word. He's talking about the beginnings of Jesus. So Matthew's telling the same story. He's just continuing on where we sort of left off with him last week. And, and so he's unfolding the starting uh, of, of the physical nature of where Jesus entered this world. And so this be, the beginnings of Jesus, who is the Christ. He's the anointed one. He is the uh, promised one. And, and we, we followed that last week as, as Matthew unfolded. He started with that sentence in verse 1. Then he went down through the ages, starting with Abraham, and he traced Jesus' lineage all the way down to King David and then followed that out all the way out through the deportation and the exile into Babylon and then continued to follow the line of the kings and succession of the reign all the way through down till we get in verse 16, we meet Joseph. And now Joseph is going to be primary in Matthew's thinking. I'm quite convinced Joseph, uh, Matthew was able to sit down and talk with Joseph at some point. Because we get some very intimate details of what happened in his life. Uh, it probably came directly from Joseph. If not yeah, in an in, in interview, but rather as someone else had shared. But I, I think Matthew had some time with Joseph. And so verse 16 introdu introduces us to Joseph, and the phrasing is very specific, it is Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Matthew is very clear that Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus. Mary is his mother, but Joseph contributed nothing to, to Jesus' birth biologically. And so he makes that abundantly clear. And now Matthew, then as the only gospel who does this, the only gospel writer who does this, he gives us a little hint of what that was like for Joseph. The whole perspective of what we, what we just had read to us is from the eyes of Joseph. And so we're going to think this through this morning as we walk through all of these events. And put yourself there. Imagine your fiance tells you she's pregnant and you know it's not from you. It's kind of where we are. And so verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Uh, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 
So we'll, we'll take this in five stages. We'll look at this betrothal period. We'll, we'll follow Joseph's understanding of, of what he would have experienced as betrayal. Uh, we'll, we'll then look at this moment of bewilderment when this angel arrives. We'll then look at Matthew's fulfillment as he explains all of this is according to plan. And then last, we'll see Joseph's incredible obedience. But we are told in verse 18 that this happened, everything that's about to, to be explained happened when they were betrothed, uh, this betrothal period. Now, a, a betrothal period is similar to, but also very unlike an engagement period uh, that we would experience today. Um, the, the betrothal period was actually the beginning of the marriage process, and it involved contracts between the family of the wife and of the husband. Agreements were made. Formal vows were given in a ceremony that involved the exchange of rings from the bride and the groom, and yet um, that was not the end of it. It's not the marriage ceremony. That's just the betrothal, which is a promise of future fulfillment in relationship and marriage. And so from the beginning of a betrothal period, which was like entering to a legal contract, um, the, the bride and groom after this period would continue to have lived apart. They would not have lived together. After the betrothal period, the bride would have then returned to the home of her father and she would have continued there uh, for about a year. And this waiting period was intended to affect two things. First, it was intended to demonstrate the sexual fidelity of the, the bride in that enough time would elapse that if there had been infidelity, that would become obvious. And so it was a time period to demonstrate her purity, but also it was a time of preparation for the groom to set up house and establish the family and get things ready. And if there was a house to be built or things to be purchased, furniture and all of that sort of thing, the, the, the groom would, would take care of all of those details. So this, this is the betrothal period. This is where we are. Joseph and Mary living apart, but yet promises had already been given that they would be faithful to each other and would spend their lives together. And so before they came together, that phrase means before they were living together, but it also means before they had sexual intercourse. So all, of, all that Joe, Matthew is about to tell us about the beginnings of Jesus took place during this betrothal period. And betrothal, interesting word, it's an old English word. Uh, the prefix be means all or encompassing. Um, and, and so, for example, uh, if you've ever heard the word, if you bespatter paint, you spatter it all around completely and with all. And the word troth means truth or fidelity. And so this betrothal period is the period of time in which everybody's all around faithful. If proclamations of faith and fidelity is proclaimed to one another. And so that's where we are. So that's the betrothal period. And now we move into this verse 18 and 19, where from Joseph's perspective, we get a little feel for how he would have responded through this news that Mary is pregnant, which he would have taken as betrayal. And so 18 and 19, the betrayal begins. So the last part of verse 18, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, uh, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
And you'll notice the, the, the language here of husband. Joseph, her husband, he's referred to, even though they're within the betrothal period, he's referred to as husband. To end a betrothal could only happen by divorce or death. So death would end a betrothal period, but this is how intensely serious this contract of the betrothal period is that the language referred to describes the participants of it as husband, wife, and at the ending of it would be a divorce. And so he, news has now come to Joseph. Mary has been found to be with child. So she's not living with him. And this phrase simply means, well, the child is showing. She, the baby is growing and it has now become evident that she is with child. And so Joseph is now discovered. He's faithfully off setting up house for the new family. She is unfaithfully off doing other things that has resulted in pregnancy. And so he is, is, is devastated by this news. And we'll get to where we see that in the text in just a moment. But one key point, Matthew, what he's doing is he is explaining that she is pregnant, not from infidelity, but from the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. She's with child from the Holy Spirit. So nothing sensual or sexual has happened. Uh, all that has happened is that the Holy Spirit has done a mighty creative work in creating life within her womb. And some people mistakenly assume that God has had sex with Mary in order to effect this. That's not what Christianity teaches or believes. God is spirit. We are of flesh and bone. Those two are essentially different. So we do not believe that God had sex with Mary, but simply in the same way that God through his Holy Spirit created life in the beginning, back in Genesis chapter one, so he created life in Mary's womb here through the powerful working secret work of the Holy Spirit. Also, the language is quite striking. She was found to be with what? She's, she's found to be with child. Now, that is an old way of speaking, which some people still say, but it struck me. She was not found to be with a clump of cells, or she was not found to be with fetus. She was found to be with child. Um, words like clump of tissue or fetus are even though technically correct, are actually intended to create emotional distance from the fact of what we all know is that when women are pregnant, and only women can get pregnant, that when they are pregnant, they are pregnant with children. Women are pregnant with children, and so it ought to horrify us to think about any attack upon a little human life growing safely within mother's womb, because Mary hears she's found to be with child. She's with a child. And this child comes about by the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit. Joseph doesn't know this. In order to feel the weight of this, you have to see he didn't get this news. The, the, the broader news that she was pregnant came about and he heard it. He didn't hear it from her. They are apart. And if you remember, when, when all of this unfolded, if you go back into the, she's, she's young, Mary's 15, 16, somewhere around there, 17, uh, when she received this angelic messenger to Gabriel who came to her and told her that she was going to be pregnant and she said, 
I've not slept with anybody. How's this going to happen? And he says, by the power of the Holy Spirit. What she did was to also go immediately to the angel. Also told her, your relative, Elizabeth, is also pregnant by an unusual way. She's older, but she's pregnant uh, with little John the Baptist, we, we discover as we, we uh, read on in the text. Mary went to visit Elizabeth. She needed some support. This is highly irregular, highly unusual, and yet God gave someone to walk with her through the confusion. And so Mary spent about three months with Elizabeth, her relative. And so it could be that we're at about the, at least be just beyond the, the third month of pregnancy, when this is unfolding from Joseph's perspective and he hears about what has happened. Now Matthew takes us deep within the heart of Joseph. Unlike any other gospel writer, and I wonder, can you go there? Put yourself in the position of Joseph and say, what on earth would have been going through your mind if you were Joseph and you heard secondhand Mary's pregnant? And you know, because of your own fidelity and faithfulness, it's not yours. This child does not belong to you. Verse 19, here we, here we get this little insight into Joseph's mind. Uh, her husband, Joseph, being a just man, so Matthew's filling in the gaps of the character of Joseph. He is a just man, unwilling to put her to open shame. He resolved to divorce her quietly. Now Joseph is a just man. Just people love the law. Just people are, are fair and apply the law rightly. You might think of Joseph as a law-abiding person. A just person loves the law and hates when it's broken. Mary has broken not only her vows in entering into the betrothal, not only her promises to stay faithful from Joseph's perspective now. We're, we're viewing this from Joseph's perspective. Right, she's broken the law of, the, of her own promises. She's broken God's law. Uh, she has been unfaithful. She has betrayed everything that up to this point she has stood for. And Joseph is a just man. So he does not like this. This does not, would anybody take this news well? Uh, it, Joseph doesn't. And so he is, is deeply distressed uh, over this entire situation. And so he sits and thinks about this carefully. Now you remember, if we were to go back to the Old Testament, the punishment for extramarital sex that is discovered prior to marriage or adultery after marriage is punishable by death. So from his perspective, according to the law of God, she has committed a crime that could be punished by death. Now, as the Romans rule Judea over this time and rule Israel, that those, you have to get the permission of the Roman government in order to enact a death penalty. So by this time, the death penalty was diminished in such cases and divorce was the norm. So Joseph, hearing this news, he contemplates within himself, what should I do? And he resolves to divorce her quietly. So the betrothal must end. He cannot continue with the marriage. He's a just man in that he cannot marry an untrustworthy woman, an unfaithful woman, and to do so would itself be an implicit admission of his own sinfulness. If he were to say, I'm going to go forward with this, everybody's going to know you're, you're pregnant out of wedlock. You're, we know what's happened to Joseph. He cannot do that. In his own mind, he convinces himself, I must put her away. This betrothal must end. The question is, how? He had two options. It can either be public shaming. This can be a public issue, and he can shame her, make it known broadly, or it can be a private divorce. In verse 20, 
gives us a clue. Now, this is, this is where it gets a little interesting. Verse 20, he considered these things. Your translation probably has considered. Um, this is actually a, a fascinating word. It is enthymeomai in the Greek. And it does mean, there's two meanings to it. It does mean to consider deeply, but the root word is thymos, which means anger, wrath, or indignation. So there's two kinds of meaning. And I'm, I'm thinking Matthew is giving us a clue of the kind of consideration that is happening within Joseph here. Here's a word that's root word, fo uh, focuses on anger and indignation. And Matthew uses this word again when he describes Herod's response to discovering that the wise men have gone home another way and tricked him and not come back to tell him about uh, the birth of the, the newborn king. And so that word is translated in 2.16 as furious. When, when King Herod realized what had been done, he considered deeply, he was furious. His, his considered response was anger. So wouldn't you be angry if you were Joseph and you have discovered that one you thought was faithful, one you thought was true, was suddenly not true to you. She's not been faithful to you. You thought promises were kept. They were not kept. And many of you have been through this. You, you've been in marriages where your partner has been unfaithful to you. You know what it's like to get the news and be devastated by it. You know what it's like to have anger well up within you. But Joseph is amazing because it says he did not resolve to publicly shame her. Joseph, even in the anger, if this word is right, um, he's deeply disturbed. He, he considers private divorce. He, he will not, he's just in that he will not marry her. He will not marry someone who has been unfaithful to him, but he is compassionate in it. He is deciding not to publicly shame her. Joseph is an incredible guy. He's, he loves Mary deeply. It's obvious. He's very considerate and he decides, I will not publicly shame her. And he resolved this. He made up his mind. Now go with me. Where's Joseph in all this? He's, he's sitting there. He's thinking all of this through. He's Maybe he's got his journal. For those of you who are journal, he's, he's been journaling furiously. I think he's probably ripped a couple of pages and he's probably gone from anger to grief and, and weeping, no doubt. I can't help but wonder, did he cry himself to sleep that night? My, my, nothing is now turning out the way I have expected. Nothing is, this, why, Lord? I have been faithful. Why is this happening to me? What happened within his soul that night? He made up his mind I will divorce her privately. I'll just put her away quietly. And perhaps he cried himself to sleep that night. We don't know. I'm just trying to enter into what's happening here because Matthew's focusing in on, on what is unfolding in Joseph's life. And so he's experienced this betrayal. He's been wrestling through all of this. And now we suddenly get to a point of bewilderment, which is verses 19 to 21. Or 20 to 21. Let's, let's read that. As he considered these things, so he's, he's fallen asleep. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. 
So Matthew is telling us Joseph went to sleep that night after he had made up his mind he was going to publicly, I mean privately divorce Mary, not publicly shame her. He went to sleep and he has a dream that night and in that dream an angel comes and he says, Joseph, son of David. Now there's the connection that leads us back to that first paragraph where Matthew has followed the genealogy of Jesus all the way down to, to Joseph who's a descendant of David. So here's, the, the genealogy is right. An angel has confirmed it. Joseph is a son of David, the legal inheritance to the throne of David. The genealogical information we looked at last week is helpful. And now he says, son of David, do not fear. It, almost every time you find an angelic encounter in scripture, it almost always includes the words, do not fear. Typically, it's because angels are absolutely so incredibly marvelous and wonderful and glorious and powerful that human beings literally lose their mind and fall face down. I mean, it, angels are fearful. But here, this angel is saying, don't be afraid, not of me and my appearance, but he says, don't be afraid, Joseph, because that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph Listen to me, son. Mary has been faithful. The, the child in her womb is not a result of sin. He is a result of the Holy Spirit. And, and imagine what would have been going through Joseph's mind. No sin, no unfaithfulness. Mary is trustworthy. She has been faithful. She has kept her word. She's not lied to you, Joseph. Something magnificent is happening. Something absolutely mind-blowingly bewildering is happening. And sometimes, don't we miss this in Christmas? We, we hear these stories again, but if we could go back and walk through the journey of the people who are unfolded in Scripture, we might get a little bit of a feel for the wonder and awe and the miracles that we find. The Holy Spirit has created a child within the womb of Mary. She's not been unfaithful. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife. No sin is involved. It's okay, Joseph. Don't fear. And... What is going to happen is she will bear a son. She will have a son. And this is what God does to help his people know that it's him who is at work, is that he announces beforehand what he's going to do, and then he does it exactly as he's disclosed it. This is why God tells in advance things that will happen so that we have confidence in knowing when it does happen, this is actually of him. Do you remember what Jesus said on the night before his crucifixion? After he unfolded in several chapters all of the events, he said, guys, I'm telling you this now before it happens so that when it does happen, you'll know that I am he. Right? This is what God does. He announces beforehand. This is why the fulfillment of prophecy is so significant for Matthew. Matthew's aim is to help you trust God by demonstrating Jesus is the fulfillment of those ancient promises. And so we see he will bear a son. And then he says to Joseph, you will call his name Jesus. What he is effectively saying by saying to Joseph, you will call his name Jesus. He's saying, I want you to take ownership of this boy. You name him means you claim him. You accept this boy as your own. Meaning 
There's no pretending here. You're going to, you're going to be the one. When he is born, you will name him. And here's what you're going to name him. You're going to claim him, meaning full adoption, fully becoming the heir of Joseph as his firstborn and all that that entails, including the right to reign that Joseph has inherited from his father David. That will be granted to Jesus, his heir, the oldest heir. In naming him, that's exactly what is happening. And then he says, you will name him Jesus. Meaning, he will save his people from their sins. Here we get a clue that Jesus' primary mission is not nationalistic. <laughs> it's, you might say, holyistic. It's, it's about bringing holiness to people. Saving from sins. Granting holiness. And what a, a wonder. Do you ever stop amazed at your salvation? God does not merely pay your debts and leave you destitute on the street. Which, if you think of all of your sins as debts, and, and it's, it's great. If you have, you know, a, a mountain of debt and someone comes up and says, you know, I will, I will pay all of your debts. That's pretty good, right? Some of us are like, amen, I'll, I'll take it. Some of you got it as a forgiveness of college and your, your student loans. And ne never mind. But then Jesus also says, I will also give you holiness. I will not only take care of your sinful debts, but I will give to you holiness, which is the means by which anyone can enter into the presence of God and have communion with him is through the granting of holiness. And so Jesus will save his people from their sins. That's what his name means. Yeshua means Yahweh saves from sins. He atones from sin. And so I can't imagine what kind of dream that would have been like. When you wake up from that kind of dream after feeling betrayed and now you're, you're in the middle of the night bewildered. If Joseph had an Apple watch on, I think it would have automatically called 911 because the heart rate would have been going nuts, I think. And yet here we have goodness God's overflowing goodness to Joseph in ways he could not have imagined. He's absolutely bewildered. And then we move to, why is all this happening? Verses 22 and 23. Matthew says, he explains to us, this is for you. This is for me and you today. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And he's now gonna quote Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. Now, if you want to go and do your homework, there's uh, pages and pages and pages and pages of controversy over the Hebrew word for virgin, which is Alma, and the, the Greek word uh, Parthenos, which Matthew uses for virgin, and do they mean the same thing, and all this sort of thing. The point Matthew is clearly making is, what has happened here with a, a, a woman becoming pregnant apart from the contribution of a man and that child being announced by an angel that he will save his people from their sins, all of this is the activity of the Lord that he hinted at long ago, 700 years before it happened in Isaiah. Isaiah, 700 years before the arrival of Jesus, spoke about this incredible birth uh, that would, would take place. And Matthew is saying, now this is being fulfilled. We're, we're seeing this unfolding before us. And he, his name will be called Emmanuel. And some people stumble over this. <clears throat> well, Jesus' name, was his middle name Emmanuel? Well, no. Well, he didn't fulfill his prophecy. Well, that, that's not the point. The point is, when you look at Jesus' life, he will bring the presence of God. 
And I give you a couple of examples. When, when Jesus raised the dead, he, he raised uh, one of the, uh, a, a young man who was very young. He was the only son of a widow. Jesus raised this young man from the dead. And the people, after seeing this, said, God has visited his people. God is with us. He is here bringing us peace and goodness. And when Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and said to him, you know, Rabbi, we know you are from God for nobody could do the signs that you are doing unless, do you know what he said next? God is with him. God is with Jesus. His presence is being manifested to the people through Jesus. So God is with Jesus. And then Jesus' own words at the end of this gospel is, Behold, I am what? I am with you to the very ends of the age. So here we see the presence of God came to the people through Jesus. It wasn't that his literal name is Emmanuel, but that his entire existence manifested the presence of God to his people. So don't stumble over that. The early gospel writers didn't. Uh, let that not de de destroy your faith. And so then we move on to the very last point, which is verses 24 and 25, which is this incredible response. What would you do after a dream like that? After seeing an angel thinking you've been betrayed and now realizing you haven't been betrayed. Life is incredibly uh, complex and confusing and yet, what are you gonna do? Verses 24 and 25, when Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. What's astounding to me is Joseph obeyed everything he was told. When he woke up, he did exactly as the Lord commanded. He took Mary to be his wife, meaning he was not afraid to marry her. He was not afraid to publicly claim, this woman is my wife. But he maintained sexual purity until Jesus was born. And so we see the language here connotes that after Jesus was born, they then entered into the normal course of, of marital intercourse. And, and we, uh, some of you grew up being taught that Jesus, Mary was a perpetual virgin. Uh, we don't find any indication of that in the scripture. In fact, we find quite the opposite. In, in Matthew tells us that uh, she had at least... Uh, three daughters and four sons. In Matthew 13, we find this. People asking, is this not the carpenter's? They're confused about who Jesus is. And they, is this not the carpenter's son? Is he not his mother's, uh, is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all of his sisters with us? And so we see Jesus had brothers and sisters. He, he grew up in a normal family and, and knew what, exactly what it was like to live with confusing siblings. And they, I mean, you know, as they're fighting over family meals, J Jesus knows what it's like to be one of us, to walk with us through all of these details. And so what's the point of all this? I think one astounding thing to me is, do, are you, do you have perfect confidence that God can fulfill all of his promises? Uh, the, the Bible is written to convince you that even promises spoken hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, can be fulfilled. And primarily, Jesus is the embodiment of that fulfillment. Jesus is the physical embodiment of the fulfillment of God's promises. And that lineage long ago promised, the promise to Abraham, the promise to David, for a Messiah, the promise to Israel to, to bring someone who would deliver them from their sins, has come 
And that means every one of you who struggle with perpetual sin can be free from the dominion of that sin. Everyone who lives under the cloud of condemnation from the enemy, you can be free from that cloud of condemnation because Christ is the one who delivers us from sins. The the question for us is, do we believe it? Do we actually believe that Jesus has the power to free us from dominion of sin? That's part of the truth here. And then secondly, or lastly, is this call to obedience. I I look to these words uh, that we hear about Joseph and it's incredible to me. He did exactly what was told to him. He took Mary. He was not afraid to call her his wife. They got married. He remained sexually pure until after Jesus was born. And then he did exactly what the angel said. He was not afraid to claim this boy as his own child. Fully adopting Jesus, Joseph on the eighth day, Luke tells us, when the eighth day came around and it was time for the baby to be circumcised, in that ceremony is when the naming happens and Joseph named Jesus. He named him Jesus as he was told, but he claimed him as his own son, fully accepting all of the scorn that would unfold and did abide of of confusion around the birth of Jesus. In John chapter eight, Jesus is talking to some Jews And they say to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. Unlike you, the implication is, we we know when your mommy got pregnant and your mom and dad weren't married yet. So we were not born of sexual immorality. You were. Joseph embraced all of that confusion. So he lived with that. But he was not afraid to do what God told him to do. Even when it would bring scorn and be very costly to him. That's the question for all of us. Are we willing to trust that God's will and his word is better for us than our own sinful disobedience? Whether it relates to how you deal with your finances or what you do with your sex life, God is absolutely concerned with how you live. And the question is, will we be obedient? Will we be like Joseph and say, I trust him. If he wants me sexually pure, I'm gonna stay sexually pure. If he, if he wants my whole life, he's got it. Can you, can you say that? Can you say that? You trust the goodness of God and that blessings of obedience are far better than temporary sinful pleasures for a season. I, I pray that Joseph would be an example to you. Yes, sometimes life is quite confusing. Joseph lived it. Yes, sometimes we lose sleep at night and yet there is a faithful God who walks us through it. If we commit our way to him, he will act and he will bring about goodness for us and blessing as we see God did for Joseph, even if it's in ways you don't expect, which it probably will be, probably will be. But a life of unexpected obedience in the care of the Lord is vastly better than anything you'll ever create for yourself. I promise you. So will you obey him? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, give us hearts that desire to obey you. Give us hearts that yearn to look to you for forgiveness of sins. Give everyone in this room, Lord, a willingness to so submit to you that we will let go of any sin so that we can cling to you. God, give us faith to obey. 
Give us faith to be obedient. And Lord Jesus, by your spirit, would you do your work in our hearts. And Lord Jesus, you, you had a gracious earthly father. We have also through you understood that we have a gracious heavenly father so that if we come to you in repentance and forgiveness, you will forgive us of our sins. And I thank you for that promise and may this be a day at which somebody in this room marks this day by crying out for forgiveness and, and receives your Holy Spirit. God, let salvation come to the person in this room who needs salvation. And those who are doubting if obedience can be better than our own sinful choices, God, will you grant the faith to trust that truth? And God, we ask, we ask by your spirit that you would do a holy work in us just as you did a holy work in Mary. And it is in your powerful name we pray, Jesus. Amen.